today on CityCast Madison. It's Thursday, so we're dishing on Madison's food scene. Is there anything more coveted in Madison in May than a morel mushroom? I think not. They send us scouring the woods, hunting for hidden treasure for the few weeks they appear. And guess what? That time is now. Cook them up in some butter, add them to your eggs, throw them on pasta, however you like them. Melissa Klaka, the head of the Wisconsin Mycological Society, shares her tips for finding these elusive gems. It's Thursday, May 25th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Melissa, hi. Hi. So we are here to talk mushroom hunting. And we got to start with the big one, morels. Of course. How's the season been so far for morels? Actually, this has been a tremendous morel season so far. Um, I've had a lot of people posting on, you know, sites and telling us just verbally at our uh, our events that people are kind of slaying the morels this year. So oh yeah, it's been a really great year. What kind of conditions do you want or would you hope for? Like a wet spring or? Well, actually, I've heard that it's actually more the fall weather from the year before that predicts like what kind of um, morel flushes you're going to get for like that next spring. So um, it's hard to say. Um, And actually, the other day when we were out, I was really worried because... uh, (laughs) It was very dry where we were at. And normally in that type of weather in the summer and fall, you really wouldn't be finding many mushrooms at all. But, you know, morels don't really care about necessarily if it's dry or not, because they can actually take advantage of like the dew. They take advantage of that where it's like kind of like condensing at night and in the early morning as it cools down, you get like that condensation. And then that is, you know, something that they can actually take advantage of and live off of that moisture. Nice. So they're super clever creatures. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. And they also look super neat. (laughs) Their caps to me almost look like tan, yellowish smoke spirals in the shape of a wizard's hat. (laughs) That's what I decided. I love that. (laughs) How how would you describe them? I do not know. Um, like a piece of Swiss cheese come into its ultimate form, um, or something like that. (laughs) That's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. They're cavernous (laughs) sort of creatures. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very different than like any other mushroom. And I think that's part of the reason why people love them so much is because they are really different looking than other mushrooms with their crazy, you know, pits and folds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear that there are false morels. How can you tell a real morel apart from a false morel? Okay, so um, not to be sassy, but we love to say that like 
you know, other mushrooms are all technically false morels because none of the other ones are morels. But yes, they're they're called um, gyrometra species. And they have, instead of like pits that kind of like look like it's been pushed inward, it's almost like morels look like someone has taken like an eraser or something and kind of like, you know, made a whole bunch of like holes going inward. Um, gyrometra kind of look like they fold outward to some extent but if you want to give yourself like a, a good comparison to me they look like a brain sometimes yeah. where it's like kind of that wrinkly surface like or a walnut sometimes they yeah kind of like that or or like fried chicken strangely enough they kind of look like that from afar too so um and and that one the reason that people are kind of more into, you know, bringing the attention to like the false morels is because of the fact that they don't want people to think this is a morel and eat it because some of those um, genus actually can cause poisoning if you eat it. So it's just definitely something that people do want to be aware of before a they safety. go out hunting for morels. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so where do you like to look for morels? Uh, <laughs> uh, the best thing I've heard lately, um, uh, was one of the people on one of my, um, uh, forays said, where do you look for morels everywhere and nowhere? And I said, yes. Um, because it's hard to know where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. Um, so if you're lucky enough to find some, then good for you. Um, I found that, a good mix of pine and hardwood with a little bit of prickly ash kind of peppered in there is a lovely ideal climate for um, morels to propagate themselves. So I will be looking for these areas in the future. Okay, so is it like, like at the root of the tree, basically, or at the base of the tree? Oh, actually, your... it actually grows on the soil. Um, so it has a relationship where it is like, it's dependent on like, you know, certain types of trees being present. Got it. If you have that kind of mix of wood that I talked about, you just look on the ground and in that type of mix of wood, there's pine cones that are going to sort of be something that draws your eye to them. And visually speaking, there's a lot of noise then because you have pinecone, pinecone, morel, and they kind of look alike Yeah. From when you're not really looking. So it's very hard to spot them. And I, I think that they kind of hide and they might even point and laugh at you as you walk by looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you have to really slow down and mm. really look. And that is the part that I think that some people really have a hard time with because they want to kind of keep walking and you have to kind of force yourself to like plant yourself and like scan each individual little pine cone in an area and be like, oh, that is not a pine cone. That is a morel. I'm going to pluck it. And then, you know, you get it. Oh my gosh. Oh. So you have to sit, you know, open your ears to the laughter <laughs> of the mushrooms. Yes. That's right. There's so much intrigue. Like there's the thrill of the hunt. There's mysteries about where where it lives. Um, this is very yeah. exciting. Um, so what are do you have personal rules for foraging? 
Yes. Um, well, first and foremost, I love to tell people, and you know, this isn't necessarily having to do with like foraging itself, but like when you go out into the wild, um, we have to try to make sure that people know that we're trying to be stewards of the land and it is our responsibility and no one else is going to do this to like clean up after ourselves and possibly also clean up after other people. So when I find trash out into the woods, you know, someone's granola wrapper or whatever it might be, you know, if I just take out two or three pieces of trash every time I go, you know, and if everyone does that, then that place is going to be significantly cleaner when we're done with it. So that is important. There's also like certain types of mushrooms where they take years to grow and therefore, you know, conks, the big like woody ones that are probably at least like two or three inches at least in diameter. And they're like a shelf mushroom and they kind of grow out from the trees and they have like rings of growth. If you look at the top, like very closely, those mushrooms take a couple of years to grow. And when we're at our events, we always discourage people from plucking them off the trees because, you know, that is just, to me, that's a bit of a more limited resource. And we don't need to pluck every single conch that we see off of a, you know, tree. We just have people take a picture of that and show that to us um, when we're trying to do a species list for our scientific records. But- okay. On the other hand, like cap and stem type mushrooms are plentiful. And something that people don't know about it is that as long as you are being a good steward of the land, that mycelial network is like everywhere, right? Mm. So if you are taking a mushroom, like a cap and stem mushroom off of the ground, like a morel, for instance, you know, a lot of people are like, they'll talk to you about, you know, oh, leave your bag, a mesh bag, so it's open so that you can spread the spores. and so But that, that mushroom has already spread billions of spores before you've ever picked it. So there's really no reason to be worried about like spore dispersal and stuff like that. That mushroom is doing what they need to do before you ever get to it to repropagate itself. Plus the mycelium that's under your feet is going to be there. So it's rather like taking an apple off of a tree or removing a blueberry from a blueberry bush. The bush you're not hurting, the tree you're not hurting. Same with the mycelial network. As long as we're not polluting the area, we're not That's like awesome. harming the area. That is so yes. awesome. <laughs> so it's, it's all underground. Different. They've, they've already um, established their survival. That's very cool. Y'all, there is a truly special opportunity coming this month. The Harry Whitehorse International Wood Sculpture Festival is running from June 14th through the 22nd, and it's a first-of-its-kind week-long celebration of contemporary and traditional wood sculpture and indigenous culture. It's named after the world-renowned Ho-Chunk sculptor and painter who lived in Monona, the late Harry Whitehorse. And it will be hosted at the iconic San Damiano Park, right on the shores of Lake Monona. The fest is inviting 12 international sculptors from countries like Peru, Germany, Ukraine, and more for a week-long artist-in-residence. And it will host demonstrations of live sculpture and Ho-Chunk arts and crafts, 
such as black ash basketry, porcupine quill art, and finger weaving. Plus, they've got live music and food. Plan your visit and learn more at harrywhitehorse.com festival. Kids are our future, right? And we all want to make sure that future is bright. That's why making sure that their bodies, minds, and characters are strong. Luckily, KidStrong coming to Sun Prairie might just be the answer. KidStrong is a national franchise that uses a science-based training program that focuses on character, physical, and brain development through weekly 45-minute age-based classes. And a pair of Sun Prairie parents are opening a new KidStrong location at Prairie Lake Shopping Center. Instruction is led by world-class certified coaches, and kids are taught everything from the importance of shaking hands to how to do a pull-up correctly. And 77% of parents in the program credit KidStrong with boosting their children's self-confidence. Interested? You can call or text 608-369-8866 or visit their social media at KidStrong Sun Prairie to learn more. The program opens in the next few weeks, and you can save money by registering today. I'm not sure if you've heard this joke, but I was going to ask you about your moral code or morel code. <laughs> I forced you to laugh. <laughs> but, yes, I, if there's I've a heard that one a couple of times. All yes. right. I'm, I'm not so Just clever. the same as like. There's now there's another one um, that you know all all mushrooms are edible but some are only edible once, and the punchline of that is implied that if you eat certain types of mushrooms they will kill you and therefore you can't eat them a second time. <laughs> that was your one opportunity. And speaking yes. of, um, I was gonna ask about other mushrooms you go hunting for this time of year. Um. Okay, my favorite mushroom to find and consume is um, Griffola frondosa, and that is kind of like the common name for that is hen of the woods. Um, it's a brown mushroom. It gets very big, like big. And wow, that was you. You know, yeah. you moved your hands. That was too short, like bigger than a a basketball, like big, big. Yeah, like two basketballs together sometimes, oh like big, big, big. So yeah, they have, and the reason, you know, it says frondosa is like it has many fronds kind of growing out of it. I would say it kind of looks like a big carnation, but like with a lot more petals or whatever, um, but mm. brown and kind of a little striated on the top. It has pores on the other side. It's like um, white pores and it looks like a black staining polypore, but the black staining polypore to its name, like if you handle it at the bottom on the pores, it'll actually stain brown. So that's like the only like super close look like. Very, very tasty. Maitake is another name for it. Um, it's wonderful in texture and flavor. And it's actually just starting to be sold in grocery stores fairly commonly. So be on the lookout in your grocery store if you ever want to try one of those. If you don't want to forage, they're wonderful. Really good. That sounds so lovely. How did you get into this? <laughs> it was kind of a natural evolution for me. My father was a wastewater treatment plant operator and I know it doesn't sound like that should have anything to do with this, but his holding tank ponds in the back of where he treated the water, there was like a lot of mushrooms that would grow back there. And I was always fascinated by them as a kid. And he would not from this area, but every now and then he would like 
find mushrooms on the side of the road. He brought home morels once when I was a kid, not from the plant. <laughs> and I thought they were just the coolest thing in the entire world. And then, you know, we get older and our interests kind of change and stuff or whatever. Um, and then one day, um, probably about 10 years ago, I found this flush of mushrooms in my backyard and I just thought they were the coolest thing. And so I started looking up like videos of like, how to identify mushrooms and that kind of stuff. And that led me to a couple of Facebook groups like Wild Food Wisconsin and Mushroom Identification and stuff on, on Facebook. And I was, you know, trying to get as much as I could consuming content on YouTube, like Learn Your Land by Adam Harriton. It's a really good channel. Hmm. And I kind of got obsessed with, you know, mushrooms. And one day in a group, someone said to me, if you're this into mushrooms, why don't you join the Wisconsin Mycological Society? And I said, what is that? And they said, it's a club in Wisconsin for people who like mushrooms. And I said, there's a club? Oh my God. <laughs> Move out of my way. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I looked them up and I was so pleased to find them. And, you know, I, I started attending the attend events like right away. And I was just so full of like vim and vigor that they said, do you want to be on the board? And I said, yes, of course I want to be on the board, even though I don't know a lot about mushrooms at the time, you know? And mm -hmm. so um, I threw myself into, you know, sort of organizing events and learning more about mushrooms and getting as involved as I could. And here we are. Yeah, leading you're leading stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the president now. Yeah, yeah it's you crazy, are the leader. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is excellent because I wanted to talk to you about you know if someone's new to town, new to Madison, or and and or new to mushroom hunting, what's a good way mm -hmm. for folks to learn how to do it? Like you're talking about forays, you know, going out in groups. Yeah. Um, there's a Madison Mycological Society yes. as well. It is Madison Mycological Association, and they are wonderful. Actually, we've had some conversations about possibly like joining permanently the two of our clubs together. Um, so that's possibly in the works at some point in the future. They're lovely, lovely people, though. They have forays every year. And if anyone is in the Madison area, definitely go see them. We're actually having a joint foray with them later in the year. But one of the great things about getting out and going on forays with people is, you know, if you have an expert that's there and, you know, when you're a beginner, an intermediate is an expert to you. If you don't know a ton, you know, having someone that's there that can guide you and say, okay, with this mushroom, this is what we are looking at. And this is how we've decided this is what the species is you know, and the genus, and this is how we find out all of that information. And yeah. so, you know, that, that one-on-one -on -one interaction, like studying online is great, but at least in my uh, opinion, in my experience, when you're actually there in person and you can look at it and you can smell a mushroom and you can even taste all mushrooms in Wisconsin as long as you spit them out they're not going to harm you um, so taste smell texture everything all of these things are going to help you remember it more 
<laughs> Melissa, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us the scoop on morels and more, yeah. morels and more. Um, and we'll be excited to share the resources so folks can get involved in the society should they wish. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was Melissa Klotka, president of the Wisconsin Mycological Society. For links to their mushroom hunting forays, check out our show notes. The next one in Madison is June 11th at the UW Arboretum. Meet at the Curtis parking lot. And they'll be at Devil's Lake in July. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Why we can't have nice things. Sure enough, the weather's warming up and we've got an algae bloom closing down a beach already. Blue-green algae are bacteria that grow in our lakes. It can cause rashes, stomach aches, and upset your respiratory tract. And dogs who drink it can get sick and sometimes die. Hence the beach closing. The blooms are turquoise in color with white nasty floating on top. Public Health keeps an eye on all our local beaches from Memorial Day to Labor Day, and they post signs, so keep an eye out for those and check their website for updates. We'll throw a link to that in our show notes. Unfortunately, algae blooms are not the only pollutants in our water. About half of Madison Wells are reported to have PFAS, aka toxic human-made chemicals, used in materials like firefighting foam and some food packaging. They're dubbed forever chemicals because they don't break down easily in nature. The city's water utility said that Madison drinking water is safe to consume despite their presence, according to current federal guidelines. And late last week, state Republicans earmarked $125 million in the budget, a historic amount to specifically address PFAS. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this podcast with someone of fine morel character? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, smell you later, especially if you swim in them lakes. <laughs>